This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are tuned in to the Foul Weather Podcast, the forecast to your next successful hunt. Coming to you from the home office, Jack's Reef, New York. Next year, we look to be transitioning from an El Nino directly into a La Nina winter or a Pacific Ocean that is colder than normal, which will bring a whole new set of predictions that we'll start to talk about early next fall that will affect duck migration into your coming winter. We recap the duck season across the flyways, compare this year to seasons past, go back through our audio archive to see how well we forecast duck migration this season, and continue our conversations about how duck harvest doesn't drive duck populations, and discuss appropriate management for ducks on our state WMAs and federal refuges. We thank our Every Week listeners. If you tuned in throughout the duck season and never missed a single migration forecast episode each Monday morning, you knew where the ducks were at before they knew where they were at. Our dedicated weekly listeners are as ate up as me about ducks, duck biology, and duck migration. You also were able to pick the best days to hunt because the Foul Weather Podcast forecasts fresh ducks hot from the north. Shoot the ducks from the north? before they know where they're at. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, coming to you from the home office in Jack's Reef. Boy, is it nice to be home. After a few weeks of traveling to the North American Duck Symposium, goodness, we talked all things ducks all day, much of the night, right, over breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What an awesome group of dedicated biologists. I do have one complaint, though, I think, is that while we were there, many, many duck scientists and academics were at that event, and they could tell you, you know, more about duck populations than than just about anyone, but there were just weren't a lot of, um, a, a lot of wetland managers. There were not wetland managers at the symposium, and a lot of us acknowledged that it's probably time to hold a more focused conference of some type to help wetland managers share information about the techniques and need to manage state WMAs, you know, federal refuges and private clubs appropriately to sustain duck populations. More on that towards the end of the episode, because certainly management is necessary to sustain duck populations on this continent. You can't just walk away from it and passively or, you know, what we call is basically no management of habitat. It, it just doesn't work. It grows up in invasive plants, you know, generally decreases over plant, overall plant and animal diversity, which also includes, a, you know, a lack of ducks on unmanaged lands. I mean, really simply, and I've spent a lot of my career working on this type of stuff, habitat management is really necessary to sustain ducks. And, you know, wherever you hear or see a lack of appropriate, uh, you know, management, and I'm going to stress appropriate management, for ducks, um, you know, your voice should be heard. If you're seeing 
stuff that is pretty much the abandonment of management for ducks, then then speak up. If the management has changed, then maybe ask why it's changed, right? And start to learn because as we learn uh, as habitat managers through very focused studies, we understand how to better manage habitat for ducks, sustain biodiversity at the same time, and ensure we're sustaining duck populations in the face of a lot of change that's going on in the world. At the Duck Symposium, we also heard from leading duck scientists about how, indeed, we likely have less ducks, and this comes from aerial surveys and from uh, the Lincoln Peterson estimators, right? So we're seeing less ducks out there for several reasons. So what is a Lincoln-Peterson estimator? In simplest terms, it's using a pretty straightforward mathematical model from banding data. Uh, we mark populations with bands. We recapture populations by shooting them, right? Um, that's considered mark recapture. And we also understand the total harvest of that species. From that, for instance, a, you know, a continental or even regional population-based estimate for mallards and, and other species can be produced. So yeah, it looks like we might be overcounting ducks. We've heard this before uh, because of an increased proportion of males that we count. We count them as two ducks rather than just as a lone duck. We, we assume that there's a female with those males, and that has led in all likelihood to overestimation. That said, the science also continues to support that gun barrels are not running duck populations. I continue to be of the opinion, based on the you know massive amount of information that I've kind of consumed and synthesized, that I'm of the opinion that seasons and bag limits on mallards have, have no real reason to change. That, and that sounds weird, right? You'll hear lots of arguments for reducing season length and reducing bag limits on mallards to quote-unquote save them. But they, the only thing we're likely saving them from is being in your pot. I can tell you that a two-bird mallard limit in the Atlantic Flyway, when we had it for several years, well, all it did was reduce the number of mallards on my grill. It likely didn't save them because they were dying in the summer or non-hunting season anyway. I mean, those are the numbers, folks, coming from the top population modeling duck scientists out there that, by the way, are also duck hunters themselves, right? Remember that guns don't run ducks. Ducks run guns. So when there's more ducks, you shoot more ducks. Mostly, really, political action to change the duck season isn't the way to go because there's also a lot of people that would just like to see you know, duck hunting go away, the antis, and, you know, they're they're really politically organized. So if we're going to play the politics game, it puts us into kind of a slippery slope. My comment is to trust uh, trust the number crunchers. They knew the BPOP was off. It's, it's something we talked about at the North American Duck Symposium, but it's still a standardized and super effective tool for monitoring long-term trends in ducks. It has some hiccups, but, you know, those are being fixed. This is the, this is the process of the ups and downs uh, that we all work through. And again, you know, the sky isn't falling. We don't have to throw all the surveys out. It's just refining what we've been doing for decades. And these surveys and, and how we monitor waterfall populations on this content, continent, are, are it, it's really the envy of the world in the wildlife world. So, Let's not burn it all down. You know, let's stick with it. And 
we're all going to work through this together is, is, is duck hunters. The comment really there is, you know, ducks are in good hands. Now, on the other hand, you know, the prairies are still basically without snow, which really doesn't bode well for, for duck production this year. Alrighty, so let's jump into where were the ducks. There were definitely less ducks, yes, but the Fowl Weather Podcast team stands by that the weather also played a huge factor in the lack of ducks in front of your duck blind this year. We had record numbers of ducks at northern latitude locations throughout nearly all flyways, even after the season had closed. Now, I'm talking about record numbers compared to normal because those ducks didn't go south, not like record numbers overall on the continent, right? So don't get confused. But even after our seasons closed at northern latitudes, we had substantial numbers of ducks that stayed. We also had ducks hang up like crazy at mid-latitudes, and not until the last two weeks of January did the weather help save the season for some. Speaking of shortening seasons, which we've, which we've heard about, uh, go back and look at your hunting logs for maybe like the last 20 years. If it wasn't for the last two weeks of season in the Deep South, many of you, I'm betting many of you, would have had some pretty rough years. Lots of times those last two weeks of January especially with these warmer years like this year, they save us on those rough years. So for a recap here, and it's going to be a little bit of number crunching, but let me first first hit you with some basic rankings of temperature and precipitation for the 2023-2024 season that highlight what was kind of, you know, what we all felt. Uh, then we'll run through some of the archive audio of our forecast to see how the Foul Weather Podcast team did at predicting duck weather or, or the lack thereof. For the entire U.S., the average temperature ranked 125 of 129 years for the three-month period of November to January. The lowest state rank across the northern and mid-tier states was 116 of 129 years, for the same same period, but really typical of an El Nino year, the lower Miss Valley states were near normal temperatures. So overall warm in the north and normal uh, kind of in that southern lower Mississippi Valley area. For pre- precipitation, the prairie region ranked only 17 of 129, 17 of 129 years, so super dry and disappointing. While the northeast U.S. was 120 of 129, or very wet, so was the southeast coast at 106 of 129. For the month of January, or kind of I'd say the period that the Deep South is most concerned about, average temperature ranks were really only saved by that late January cold front, with Texas over to Mississippi and up to Kansas ranking 28 of 129, or much colder than normal on average, but again, only for that short period. The Great Lakes and Northeast U.S. ranked 110 and 114, respectively, out of 129, or warmer than normal. And in fact, the Northeast U.S. started warm and wet, you know, kind of, and went, that went all winter. But it wasn't snow precip, it was rain most of the time, leading to, I'd say, about the worst winter we can all remember here at the farm in Jack's Reef and throughout the region. 
and holding ducks, you know, way north in the Atlantic Flyway. I would say probably the Atlantic Flyway uh, for mid-latitude and southern folks probably had one of their worst seasons they've ever seen because we didn't even get that cold front that the mid-continent did over in the east. Wet-wise, that rain couldn't come fast enough to the lower Miss Valley in southeast U.S., but when it did come in abundance from Texas in a swath up to the northeast U.S., Regional precipitation ranks were 126, 124, 119, and 113 out of 129, or wet, wet, wet. So then it was not many ducks because, you know, there weren't many ducks because it was mild up north and they didn't show up. But when it did get cold, it thawed thereafter and rained right after that and spread out ducks like crazy. Right? Of course, some of you found ducks on the move, you know, and got on fresh ducks. But a lot of us had, you know, one of the worst seasons that, that they can remember still, even with that last two-week cold and the water that followed. Okay, so how did the Fall Weather Podcast team do at forecasting the 2023-2024 duck season in our long-term forecasts? Remember, each season we produce a two-part series, one in October and the other around the beginning of November. In those episodes, we use long-term winter weather forecasts to estimate timing and intensity of duck migration to southern latitudes because the weather severity index uses how cold is it, how much snow is there, how many days in a row has it been below freezing, and how many days in a row has there been measurable snow. So we can look at the temperature and snow forecast in that long-term winter weather forecast and estimate the timing and intensity of duck migration by species to southern latitudes each season. If you're not yet familiar with the term WSI or weather severity index that we use to predict duck migration, go to our webpage at fowlweather.co and watch the video at the bottom of the landing page. Also go back to episode 5 in the grips of El Nino and episode 12 ready or not, here they come, question mark, to hear our full part one and part two seasonal forecasts. Okay, so jumping into the audio archives from this year. First, we definitely forecast a strong El Nino, which is from an index of 1.5 to 2.0, or a warmer than normal Pacific Ocean, which affects the North American uh, continental weather during winter. And we just hit 2.0 on that index scale at the peak of the, the winter season. So here we noted that, you know, what El Nino conditions typically look like. And if we think back to this winter, it's pretty much what we got and continue to get. The only portion of that that was a bit off is the conditions set in a little later uh, than we thought for the rains. And those rains didn't really come until mid-January. They started kind of off the Gulf Coast and then moved in along Louisiana and south, you know, stayed south. But they really didn't hit that area of the biggest drought in the lower Mississippi alluvial valley until kind of, you know, that those last two weeks of January. So have a listen here on, on our note of what a, a typical El Nino pattern is and, and think about what you saw this season out there. A typical El Nino pattern is for a warm upper Midwest and prairies, wet southern latitudes, and some dry spots in mid-latitudes of the Mississippi and Ohio River drainages. 
So we did make a great prediction on the dry spots, kind of up the Ohio River and up to Michigan, which continues to remain really, really unfortunately dry. It's kind of freaking farmers out in that. It kind of there's a band across um, Indiana, Illinois, maybe even down to Missouri a little bit, where the confluence of the Ohio and Mississippi rivers are. Uh, we also forecast a really mild winter in regards to duck migration. We pretty much nailed that one pretty well. Other than you know a few old you know little, like a few cold outbreaks, which we'll hit on in a bit here. So in addition to the El Nino forecast, we also use additional information to kind of think about you know what are going to be the drivers of winter weather. And here in this segment, in this audio archive from the seasonal forecast, we talk about how we think that El Nino is going to affect our winter weather, along with some other things that are going on in the global climate models. So what is the forecast then? Right now under a 50-50 chance of a moderate or strong El Nino, and only about a third of those moderate and strong El Ninos having been colder than normal, plus only one of those cold years having happened in recent years, it's just simply warmer on this planet. My bet is for an overall milder winter temperature-wise compared to normal. Okay, good stuff. We definitely got the milder than normal, but we did miss on a few items, which is to be expected. In this audio clip, we forecast a delay out of the prairies, but what we got was an initial cold shot that did move a good number of ducks into, say, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri latitude in the mid-continent in actually October. Have a listen here and, you know, where we didn't quite get it right. In the U.S. prairies, I'd expect a strongly delayed southern flight because it looks to stay warm, and there's a good amount of water right now from summer events, as well as holdover water from winter snow in a lot of locales. As ducks move into southern tier states, I expect wetter conditions than normal, with ducks spreading out on the landscape. Okay, we did a follow-up, though, to explain what went wrong with our forecast. Here it is. For those of you that listened to episode 5 in the grips of El Nino, you know that part 1 of our seasonal forecast predicted a warm prairie, a warm upper Midwest, and Great Lakes region for the winter. You also may have noticed in episode 9, Hot Barrels High on the Prairie, that we had a major early cold front into the Canadian prairies and northern U.S. prairies that sent most ducks to more southern areas at mid-latitudes kind of in a hurry. So, you know, we might think that that contradicts the seasonal forecast part one. The reality is that the prairies can still have a really mild winter overall. Yeah, so that cold front in October was actually caused by warm air rushing towards the poles from really, really warm equatorial oceans along the west and east coast going towards the Arctic poles resulting in low and high pressure systems that caused kind of the short-term bubble of cold air to plunge south in October. But as expected, the jet stream equilibrated and cold air was pretty much retained far north until, you know, only a couple cold shots in December and January that we got. We did get the wetter than normal for the Southern Miss Flyway and Southern Atlantic Flyway, but those conditions didn't really start until January. And I'd say strongly in the last two weeks of January. Also, as noted at the end there, despite that one little cold shot in the prairies, they've remained pretty much insanely mild this winter with nearly no snow. 
really, I'd say all unfortunate events for duck migration and, and good snow cover conditions to kind of refill those prairie potholes. In this next clip, we note that while the long-term forecast didn't get it right all the time, the weekly migration forecast from the File Weather podcast basically exactly predicted the timing of the bump in numbers of ducks into mid-latitudes. Here's that audio archive clip. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the last few weeks, we forecast, I'd say days in advance, movement of early migrants into mid-latitudes and mallards into about the South Dakota, kind of Iowa, northern Illinois latitudes. Yeah, and so those ducks just hung up at mid-latitudes after that, and frustration really started to mount, and I'd say even boiled over between Christmas and New Year's for folks in the Deep South, is that migration stalled by epic proportions. In fact, as we note here in this next clip, Missouri numbers jumped to above average for that time of year in October and early November, and then they just hung on there. They're trickling into the latitude of Missouri, and as expected, that region, the Missouri region's mallard numbers, are about 50% greater right now than the long-term average for this time of year. All right, so that kind of sums up that first portion of the season, you know, our, our part one long-term forecast, and we really stuck our neck out with that one because... A lot of folks don't even like to make long-term seasonal forecasts until kind of the end of October. There's a lot of things that go on with Siberian snow cover and Arctic ice building that tell us a lot about the winter coming. But, you know, folks want to know what's going to go on early in the season, and those fall predictions tend to be really difficult. Um, so we, we do it. You know, we, we, we kind of pull together as best information as we can but then at the beginning of November we provide our long-term forecast part two which pretty much kind of perfectly bookended how the season played out across the central Mississippi and Atlantic flyways um, here here's that here's that clip overall all indications continue to push us towards a mild winter overall at northern latitudes because of El Nino and because of a very warm planet and very warm equatorial oceans that will probably, these will probably override most every other atmosphere, atmospheric signal that's out there. More than likely, duck migration in the western portion of the central flyway will be about average, but with longer periods of stale ducks. In the eastern portion of the central flyway, in all of the Mississippi flyway, we expect a trickle of ducks south. So take advantage of those early migrants we expect mallards to really hang up this year in mid-latitudes. And for those that push to the deep south before everything gets wetter in late December and January, then maybe shooting will be good um, if you meter your pressure. So if it stays dry and mallards show up, they've got less places to go. But you're going to really need to think about your pressure because mallards are big ducks that can get fat 
and they can they can sit out your guns right and they can feed at night as well so metering your pressure is what you're going to need to do if you want to shoot mallards especially under these really pressured conditions Overall, I think we really hit the nail on the head about pressure this year, and I know that it's a, you know a huge topic of discussion lately. But under these dry conditions, we had you know pressure that was a huge issue for many. I mean, you can't just shoot the same ducks every day when it's dry and mild. You know, it just doesn't work. We also asked folks to temper their expectations because by early November we already saw major atmospheric signs, global weather and high and low pressure system signs that weather was going to be a major factor in your duck season success and satisfaction across duck country. Have a listen. So temper your expectations. Join us on the Foul Weather Podcast each Monday a.m. and watch how much ducks are pressured. That will all be important to your satisfaction and duck hunting success this season. All right, but then on the 10th of December, episode 17, The Art of Skybusting. That's a fun one. You should go back and listen to that. It's a satirical look on skybusting with the hope maybe of educating a few people at the same time. On that episode 17, The Art of Skybusting, we forecast that mid-January cold snap and the timing of rain showing up in southern duck country, something like what? A month and a half ahead of time. There's a good chance of another stretched polar vortex that would push cold south into North America from the Arctic in mid to late December, and maybe even a weakening of the polar vortex, which could cause a more major long-lasting cold outbreak in mid-January. As noted, most of this rain is forecast to come kind of starting around the new year, and throughout the month of January and into March. So, you know, be prepped to catch catch that rain when you can. Yeah, taken all together, I think the Foul Weather Podcast team is, is super stoked about our long-term seasonal forecast this year. We really dug deep into the science of long-term forecasting. And, you know, myself, I've published on these topics previously, and specifically kind of with that, the polar vortex guru, Dr. Judah Cohen, he regularly shows up on the Weather Channel. So it was a good prediction year, really, uh, somewhat because of El Nino. But the other patterns of Siberian snow cover and Arctic ice really helped us derive kind of finer scale predictions time-wise that, that also pointed us in the, in the right direction uh, pretty much for the whole season. I also want to point out that the Farmer's Almanac noted it would be snowy and cold in the northeast U.S., and that was abysmally wrong. We are 60 inches or 5 feet below normal snow cover and had nearly the warmest year on record at the home office in Jack's Reef. As I've said, the Farmer's Almanac is voodoo. The Foul Weather Podcast is true, published, and uses verified science. Next year, we look to be transitioning from an El Nino directly into a La Nina winter or a Pacific Ocean that is colder than normal, which will bring a whole new set of predictions that we'll start to talk about early next fall that will affect duck migration into your coming winter. Until then, we should start thinking about planning for the ducks that are going to show up at our private marshes and watching to see that our state WMAs and federal refuges have set the table 
for ducks to show up by applying appropriate management. What does appropriate management entail? It includes actively managing lands by drawing down wetlands or removing water at the right time to stimulate growth of seed-producing plants to feed hungry ducks upon their southern migration. It includes actively applying disturbance to soils when necessary to further diversify the plant community for that diverse suite of wildlife that uses wetlands on national wildlife refuges, private clubs, and state WMAs. It includes actively and appropriately applying herbicide where necessary to stave off invasive plants that decrease plant and animal diversity and the foods for hungry wildlife. It includes an entire suite of methods down to trapping raccoons that might be messing with duck banding traps. We all know that actively banding waterfowl during the pre-season, right before duck season, and then using those bands to determine survival and and to produce Lincoln-Peterson estimators is super important. Keeping duck traps free of hungry raccoons by trapping, hell, live or dead, can be vital to ensuring we mark enough ducks each season at our national wildlife refuges and elsewhere where we ban thousands and thousands of ducks each year. Mostly actively managing lands for waterfall is what has made them a success story. Only through continued efforts to conserve and manage lands can we sustain duck numbers. But also remember that despite all that effort, the challenges continue to exist. The prairies are dry, and they're getting drier by the day, and that's not good for duck production. Nor is the dismantling of the Clean Water Act that leaves millions of prairie pothole wetlands unprotected from 100% drainage and loss forever. Mallard numbers are at least 50% of what they were only a few years back. Pintail numbers and scop remain low, and other duck and goose populations only remain high because we actively conserve and manage lands. Stay diligent in your efforts, my friends, to keep these ducks with us. Without you at the helm, it could all disappear. Be active and be a voice for the ducks. And remember, we will be booting up the Foul Weather Podcast Wetland Management Series in the early spring as we detail how active management on federal refuges, state WMAs, and private duck clubs can help feed ducks and produce better duck hunting. Alrighty, I'm going to make a quick exit this week. Next week, we talk with Stephen Soule of, the, of Delta Waterfowl from the dining room of the Duck Symposium about their fantastic university hunt program. See y'all again next week. May your skies be filled and shoot straight, my friends.